This is the Lost Mountain Baptist Church podcast. We exist to help all kinds of people find and follow Jesus. For more information about service times, giving, and upcoming events, check out our website, lmbc.us. We hope you enjoy this week's message. Well, it's good to see you here the first Sunday of 2022. Um, we're kicking off a, a series that will lead us through most of this month, um, simply entitled Pray, uh, where we want to sort of, as a congregation, as a community of followers of Jesus, be guided uh, to be prayerful around certain things, uh, large and small, as we kick off this new year. Uh, we'll, we'll be in this series for four weeks, and the last Sunday of this month, Dr. Preben Vong will be with us, and he'll, uh, he'll teach Sunday morning. Dr. Vong is a, a New Testament scholar, former pastor uh, of uh, First Baptist Church in Copenhagen, and a uh, professor at Truett Theological Seminary at Baylor University right now. Bottle of water almost rolled off. I'm just going to set this down here. Still nursing a cough and trying not to pull a jake for those of you who were with us the last Sunday of the month. So, um, I shortened the message a bit, you'll be happy to know, so that hopefully uh, my voice and, and coughing uh, fits can make it through without starting up. But uh, Dr. Vong will be with us. Uh, he's going to preach out of the book of James that morning and then lead us all who want to come and be a part of it uh, through a kind of line-by-line study of the book of James, Sunday night, Monday night, and Tuesday night. Um, so be looking forward to that. All, all the information on that will go out um, this week, and you'll have plenty of opportunity to see the dates and times on that. I really encourage you uh, to be here for that. It's going to be a special time. Hey, I'm curious to know how many of you made it to, to midnight on Friday? Hey, that's a, that's a good number. That's most of you. That's because we were glad to see 21 go, right? So everybody's like, I'm staying up for this one uh, this time. Yeah. No, you, you are not alone. Uh, I was reading an article yesterday on sort of global celebrations, and, and they mentioned these cities, among others, that had great, uh, great firework displays, great uh, celebrations, New York, Rio, Berlin, Jakarta, Paris, Dubai, Moscow, Bangkok, Sydney, London, and thousands and thousands and thousands of smaller cities all around the world. Um, New Year's Eve is always exciting to me. I love it. I love New Year's Eve. I love New Year's Day. God gave me a disproportionate amount uh, of optimism and energy as he was putting me together. Um, And so I'm always excited about that. And I, I always look at this time of year at the celebrations globally across all races, all economic classes, all ages. And I just, I always, year by year, ask myself, why? What is it about New Year's Eve and New Year's Day that creates this sort of global phenomenon and does it every single year, regardless of what else is going on? I I think part of it is just a sense of, of perseverance that we've made it. Uh, those that are, are closing out the year, like we've, we've made another year, and there's a sense of just accomplishment uh, and, and breathing out in that. But I think it's more than that. I think you know it's more than that. I know it's more than that. It's that our hearts and our minds as, as men and women created in the image of God tend to be filled with a sense of possibility. 
as we come to the end of the year. We tend to be filled with a sense of, of new opportunities that the new year may hold. In short, just a sense of hope. A sense of hope that, that tomorrow is not just a new beginning and a new day, but a, a new year and a new chance. And this is not so much a matter of resolutions that you and I will soon break, but a a matter ultimately of responsibility, a realization for us as believers that God has given us another day. God has given us a new year. And I want to ask you this morning, what will you do with it? What will you do? with the new day. And let's just say that by God's mercy and grace, he gives you the fullness of the year. What will you do with it? The key question this morning, as we turn in just a minute to the second chapter of the book of Luke, the key question this morning is what kind of person do you want to be this time next year? Let me ask that again. What kind of person do you want to be this time next year? Who do you want to be this time next year? Who do we as a church want to be this time next year? We've got a God-given responsibility before him to honor him with the time that he's given us, with the gifts and possibilities and opportunities. And this takes not only clarity and conviction, Right, so that we don't just drift, blown about here and there, but it takes focus, an immense amount of grace-fueled focus. And as we turn to Luke chapter 2, one of the things that we realize is that Jesus demonstrated this kind of grace-fueled focus, this clarity and conviction about who he was and what he was about throughout his ministry but he demonstrated it even before his public ministry began. I want us to look this morning at just a a brief picture, the only picture we really have uh, of Jesus as a child growing up, and hear a word from God about being good stewards of the days and the weeks and the months that he's given us, that this new year represents for all of us. Wherever you are, in life. And if you're in here this morning, you're in elementary school or middle school or high school. Maybe you're in college. Maybe you're married. You're single. You've got kids climbing all over your house. Maybe you've got no kids. You're retired. You're a grandparent. Whatever the case is, God is calling you to live with a grace-fueled focus concerning the opportunities that he's given you. Let's look at Luke chapter 2, beginning with verse 41. I was thinking uh, a couple of weeks ago, it's interesting, we always kind of go through the story, churches uh, will, the Christmas story around Christmas time, to some degree, and then we just jump back. And, and I was thinking about, what if we just rolled on with Scripture a bit, from Jesus' birth to what's coming next? And what happens next, we find here in Luke chapter 2, verses 41 through 52. Every year, Jesus' parents went to Jerusalem for the festival of the Passover. When he was 12 years old, they went up to the festival according to the custom. 
After the festival was over, while his parents were returning home, the boy Jesus stayed behind in Jerusalem, but they were unaware of it. Thinking he was in their company, they traveled on for a day. Then they began looking for him among their relatives and friends. When they did not find him, they went back to Jerusalem to look for him. After three days, they found him in the temple court, sitting among the teachers, listening to them and asking them questions. Everyone who heard him was amazed at his understanding and his answers. When his parents saw him, they were astonished. His mother said to him, son, why have you treated us like this? Your father and I have been anxiously searching for you. Why were you searching for me? He asked. Didn't you know I had to be in my father's house? But they did not understand what he was saying to them. Then he went down to Nazareth with them, and he was obedient to them. But his mother treasured all these things in her heart. And Jesus grew in wisdom and stature and in favor with God and man. So we have this, this picture of Jesus as a 12-year-old. And Mary and Joseph have taken him as was the custom and as was their custom for Jews scattered around the, the, the Roman Empire to come back to Jerusalem. The Old Testament actually commands them to come back three times a year for three different festivals, but it was typical that, that they would just journey back once a year for Passover to celebrate the, the liberation, the deliverance of God from slavery in Egypt, that Old Testament picture of redemption. And so they're there celebrating this, likely the full seven days. Because verse 43 tells us that when the festival was over, after this time his parents were returning home, but Jesus stays behind in Jerusalem. Now, don't get all judgy with his parents, right? Um, because they're out in a caravan. If you've had a 12-year-old, you understand that they may have enjoyed the fact that he wasn't with them right that second, Right? They're figuring he's with cousins running around. This was a normal thing. Uh, often family and friends would travel from an extended area or city back to Jerusalem together. They would experience Passover and they would leave together. And kids would run up and down throughout the caravan playing with friends uh, and cousins. So don't get all up in Mary and Joseph's business. Scripture never condemns them. It just simply states Jesus hung back, right? He pulled one over on the parents. Also, if you've ever been a parent... You know that kids can do that from time to time, all right? And I know it's hard uh, with a generation that parents often the way we do, hey, text me when you're getting ready to leave our house, text me as you're pulling out of the driveway, text me when you get there, text me when you're eating dinner, text me when you think about leaving, text me when you know you're leaving, text me when you're pulling into our subdivision, but pull over to do it, right? But those of you who grew up in different generations, I'm kind of right on the tip of that, where you could say, hey, mom and dad, you know, it's nine in the morning. I'm going to go down uh, with some friends I don't know and you've not met and play in an abandoned coal mine. They'll be like, we'll see you at six for dinner. I mean, that was just kind of it. So don't get too upset with Mary and Joseph. But Jesus, Jesus stayed back. By this time in Jesus' life, in his development as a human being, and don't take anything from his humanity away, 
by saying, well, you know, he was all God as well, so of course he's back in the temple blowing people's minds. Because when you, when you do that, you begin to violate the doctrine of the humanity of Jesus that he developed in every way as you and I develop as human beings. So verse 46 is after, after three days, they find him in the temple courts. We don't know ex- exactly where uh, in the temple area he was, but he's in there and he's sitting among the, the teachers, listening to them and asking them questions. Now, um, sometimes people will present this like Jesus is the one teaching. Jesus is not the one teaching. Jesus is listening and, and interacting with and engaging with the teachers. But the kinds of questions and the kinds of answers he gives in response to questions that are asked to him amaze and astonish those that are listening. Verse 47 says, this sets up the rest of Luke where Luke uses this language again and again as the the typical way in which people respond to the movement and the work of God the Father through God the Son and Jesus Christ. People are amazed. But his parents, not so much. Verse 48, they see him and they're astonished. But the picture here is, is more a picture of, of bewildered relief, right? You, you ever been searching for a kid or wondering what they were doing and then been like, why were you here? Why did you spend the night in the pantry? Or, you know, whatever the thing is. If you've parented long, you've woken up some morning and found your child sleeping in an odd place. You know, why did you sleep in the bottom of the shower? Um, kids are strange. Kids are strange. Mary says to him in verse 48, why, why have you done this to us, son? Why have you caused us to worry, to be filled with anxiety while we were searching for you? And Jesus is a little bewildered. He says, why were you searching for me? I love this because at 12, he may not have even known they left town yet. Right? He's like, where did you go? You know, I was playing Xbox yesterday. Today I'm in the temple courts. I didn't even know you guys had left. Jesus says, why were you searching for me? Didn't you know I had to be in my father's house? And they didn't understand that. I I love this. It's a a beautiful picture. Some of you may have grown up and learned this verse (coughs) as didn't you know I needed to be about my father's business. Let me tell you a little truth about scripture interpretation and learning. Neither one of those words are actually in this verse. This verse is actually missing the final noun. It's missing the subject in this part of it. The verse actually says in Greek, <clears throat> in thee of my fathers. I tell you that to tell you this. All Bible translation involves interpretation. Don't be sophomoric and immature in your view about the Bible. Well, the Bible says it, and I believe it, and that just settles it. That's a, that's a sweet and a quaint saying. Um, but God wants us to be mature and maturing in our understanding of the Word of God. So whether your text says, Jesus telling them, didn't you know I needed to be about my father's business, or didn't you know I needed to be in my father's house, neither house nor business is there. Translators throughout the centuries have done the best they could to try to figure out what Jesus was saying here. And depending on the context and the subject verb agreement and the tenses, they land here or they land there. What is clear from Jesus' own understanding at this time of who he was, 
and his sense of mission of following the Father and throughout his ministry was that he was committed to being about the things of the Father, about the things of God. And as he matured and grew, and his self-awareness and understanding matured and grew, he came to understand that in terms of his messianic mission. But here Jesus is just simply saying, why do you expect to find me here? We're in Jerusalem. We're where the temple is. Where else would I be? (coughs) Where else would I be? But his parents didn't understand, did they? They didn't understand. Can I tell you something? If you live with a significant commitment to Jesus Christ, there are going to be both friends and family who at times do not understand. They simply do not understand. And when we, God help us, enter into another political year like this year, if you keep your heart and your mind focused on Jesus and not the wild political malaise that's coming, you'll have some friends and some family who simply don't understand because they don't understand Jesus and the church apart from American politics. And on and on, I could go. But let me give you a challenge that we have directly from Jesus here. It is simply this. You you and I, as the people of God, are to be people who are about the things of God. Whose hearts and minds and values and relationships and money and worldview and ethics are formed by the revealed word of God in and through the person of Jesus Christ empowered by the Holy Spirit. My challenge to you and God's challenge to you through the life of Jesus, even at 12 years old, is to live a life this year that would communicate to those around you that whatever else you're involved in, you are primarily about the things of God. This is what Jesus is saying to his parents. Why are you shocked by this? Where else would I be? We're in Jerusalem. The temple is here. The greatest teachers that our faith can muster are here. Where else would I be? I've got to be here. I've got to be in my father's house about my father's business. I have got to be about the things of God. Let me give you a couple of quick illustrations of how it is tangibly that we live this out, particularly from this passage. The first thing, if you and I are going to be about the things of God throughout the year in a way that will lead you and I really to be different people this time next year, we need to center ourselves around the teaching and the people of God. We need to center ourselves around the teaching and the people of God, scripture and gospel community. This is what Jesus is doing here. He's not, not that he had it, but he's not just sitting down by the River Jordan with his pocket New Testament that hadn't been written yet, memorizing the Roman road, which hadn't been written yet. He was engaged, sitting at the feet of teachers, listening to the Word of God, having it taught over him, and engaging in dialogue, in community center ourselves around the teaching and people of God. 
This is what Jesus is learning to do even at the age of 12. But one more thing, and this is significant because so much of our time is spent with it. Not only do we center ourselves around the teaching and the people of God, but also we engage the stage of life and current responsibilities that God has given us in a way that honors him. You are called, you are called to engage the current season of life and the responsibilities that God has given you, whether you're in school, whether you're long retired, (coughs) whether you've got kids, don't have kids, whether you're married, whether you're single, this is God's call for you to do it with focus, with clarity, with conviction in a way that honors him. When I think about Christian parenting, we've talked in here before about how um, nowhere is it more difficult to sort of be clothed in Christ and characterized by the fruit of the Spirit than at home sometimes. And when I think about just trying to be a Christian dad, being a Christian mom, being Christian parents in a home, I think God's design and desire for us there is to interact with our kids in such a way that regardless of how amped up they are, whatever they're saying or doing, if other people were in our home, the way in which we're responding, the way in which we're engaging with them would be honoring to God instead of just reflective of their behavior or their current tantrum or whatever's going on. And on and on we could go. You and I both know too that you don't need kids around you to have a grown-up tantrum, right? You can have a grown-up tantrum because they didn't give you enough ketchup at the drive-thru or whatever. We're, we're seeing uh, news uh, every week of people having grown-up tantrums on airplanes because they're being asked to do the thing that they knew they were going to be asked to do and had already signed that they would do when they purchased their airline tickets, right? But to engage the stage of life and current responsibilities God has given us in a way that honors him. Not only is Jesus sitting in the temple, engaging in and centering his life around teaching and community, but look at the final verses of this passage. Verses 51 and 52. Then, after his parents come get him, he went down to Nazareth with them and was obedient to them. This is important. This is important. This is a picture of the gentleness and the humility of Jesus. God the Father is already at work in and through him. And yet he's still 12. He goes down and he is obedient to them. And his mother, Mary, she treasures all these things in her heart. She's watching what's happening with her little boy. Verse 52, and Jesus grew in wisdom that has to do with self-awareness and knowledge, both of himself and of his heavenly father. And stature, that's just physically the natural progression of human beings. And favor, and in favor with God and man. Jesus honors God the Father by engaging in the stage of life and the responsibilities that he has at that age. And this never changes. Wherever you are in life this morning, you're in some stage of life, some season, and you have some responsibilities at work, at home, to family, to friends, to God, to your local church. And if you and I are going to be men and women who are 
about the things of God this year, our life is going to have to be characterized by these two things, by centering ourselves on the teaching of God and within community among the people of God, and by engaging in our stage of life, our season of life, and our current responsibilities in ways that honor God. But one final question, what, what do we do when we get worn down? I told you that God just put a disproportionate amount of optimism and energy in me when he put me together, right? I just typically, I think, you know what? It's gonna be fine. Everything's gonna be fine. It's gonna be good. It's gonna be fine. God will make a way. But I have my days and my weeks and my seasons where the energy is gone. What do we do? Let me just point you to familiar verses in Matthew 11 and tell you in one word, here's what we do. We pray. We pray. Teaching on prayer is always, uh, always interesting and always a little bit awkward because prayer is not something that any of you would leave this morning going, oh, I never knew I was supposed to pray. Never, never, never occurred to me. It's not even something you can go, okay, here's how you pray, right? I mean, you can do that and use the Lord's Prayer, use a kind of guide, but praying is something you learn as you do. But it is natural, it is as natural to human beings made in the image of God as talking to friends about anything else that excites you or moves you is. And yet we struggle with it, I think, and we'll flesh this out more later. <clears throat> I think because we see it more as a result of discipline than delight. It's easy to talk with and spend time with people we delight in. But let's look at Matthew chapter 11, verses 28 through 30. Jesus says, come to me. Come to me, all you who are weary and burdened. What, what does he mean when he says, come to me? Pray. Pray. Say, Jesus, I need help. Jesus, I'm not feeling it. Jesus, I'm confused. Jesus, I know I'm being blown about because I'm listening to voices around me and voices in the culture more than I am you. Jesus, I need to heal. Jesus, I don't know that I can make it through today. Come to me, all you who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. Jesus doesn't say, I might give you rest. I might not. Depends on how good you've been today. Depends on how many verses you memorized. Depends on what kind of stickers are on your car. He says, come to me. If you're weary and you're burdened, if you're worn out, if you're down, if you're exhausted, if you feel like you can't go on, come to me and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon me and learn from me. He says, pay attention to my way. Pay attention to my words. Let my way be your way. Let my words be your words. Meditate on them. Soak yourself in me. And listen to, this, listen to this wording, I love it. And you will find rest for your souls. Anybody just need some soul rest this morning? You will find rest for your souls. Maybe, could it be that some of us are so weary right now? Could it be that some of us are so weary right now because we have accidentally drifted into going to everyone and everything consistently but Jesus. 
and it's drained us. Jesus says, come to me. He said, my yoke is easy and my burden is light. Why is that so? That is so because Jesus reached out his arms, spread out his arms on the cross and gave up his life. His burden is easy. His yoke is light for you because he carries the burden of it. Because he shouldered the weight of it in his death on the cross and won the victory through his resurrection. Jesus says, come to me. He says, pray, pray, and I will give you rest for your soul. Pray, I'll renew you. Pray if you're worn out. Come to me, come to me. You know, 2021, I I think in, in my opinion, in my opinion, and there have certainly been other years like this, but 2021 was an interesting year in terms of the, the people, the influential people we lost as a nation and as a world. Many of us, myself and my family included, we lost people personally. We lost spouses and parents, brothers, sisters, children, beloved cousins, close friends. But nationally and, and on a global scale, we lost people too. I was kind of going through a, a list yesterday and I'll just share with you a few uh, more recent, uh, though somewhere earlier in the year. Most of these are more recent. Um, Senator Bob Dole, John Madden. Anybody kind of stunned when the news hit uh, the wire, so to speak, that Madden had passed away? Desmond Tutu, Colin Powell, Larry King, Hank Aaron, Hank Aaron. Tommy Lasorda, that great animated longtime uh, manager of the Dodgers. And Betty White. When I saw Betty White had died, I was like, that's it. It's over. <laughs> this is the end. Even Betty White has said, look, I'm out of here. I have had enough. I've had enough, right? But you know what? We're here. We're here today. And God's word says that every good and perfect gift comes down to us, given from God, the Father of lights, who doesn't change. He's not blown around like sand is with a high wind. So I tell you that today and this year is to be received by you as a gift from God. And my challenge to you is through grace-driven prayer and delight in Jesus Christ to be men and women, to be students, to be children who are about the things of God this year. Let me ask you to stand. In just a minute, we're going to reflect and respond to God as we sing. We're also going to Observe communion. We've got two communion stations up front. We've got one over here on the sidewall and one back here. If you're a believer this morning, if you've given your life to Jesus Christ, we invite you at any time during this song, any time while we're, while we're singing in response to God, 
to step out to make your way to one of these communion stations to take a piece of bread, to dip it into the juice, to move off to the side. And, and I just challenge you to come to Jesus in prayer, recommitting yourself to him and reminding yourself that as we observe communion, we not only reflect on the, the broken body and shed blood of Jesus Christ and do this in remembrance of him, but we also do it looking forward with hope to his return. We also do it as a way of acknowledging that we who are in him are bound up in his brokenness. There is no resurrection without crucifixion. If you and I are followers of Jesus, we are the presence of the suffering servant on earth. And we communicate as much to a watching world when we receive communion. So let me pray for us. Then we'll move into a time of reflection and response. Almighty God, Heavenly Father, fill our hearts and our minds this morning with you until we overflow with a sense of your beauty and your goodness. As we respond now to the kind of clarity and conviction and focus our Lord lived with, God, enable us to respond with all of who we are, to say today, I surrender all. My greatest desire is that Jesus Christ would be my cornerstone this year, would be the one upon whom I build everything else in my life. God, I ask these things with great expectation through Jesus Christ and in the power of the Holy Spirit. Amen. If you're a believer, we invite you to step out and to observe communion. Thanks so much for joining us online at the Lost Mountain Baptist Church podcast. For more information about service times, giving, and upcoming events, check out our website, lmbc.us.